The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, Lord. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Sadly, it seems like we are living in a knowledge-rich world, but a wisdom-poor world. May God be so merciful to us as to grant us wisdom. But don't expect being wise to always be easy. In fact, quite the opposite is usually the case. Now, it should be fairly obvious why wisdom is on tap for our sermon today. It is explicitly mentioned in three of our readings. Solomon is able to ask of God anything, and he famously asks for wisdom. And God is very happy with Solomon for this, and so he is blessed with long life. He doesn't always display wisdom in his own life. As we mentioned before, he had hundreds of wives and concubines that eventually really led to the ending of the peaceful union of north and south in Israel and led to much warfare. But he is the author of many of the Proverbs, and in fact, in the first proverb, we have a common line in the Proverbs, which we heard in our psalm today. It was the uh, beginning of the 10th verse of our psalm. The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, is the beginning of wisdom. In our reading from Ephesians, Paul writes, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I will argue that even though the word wisdom is not explicitly stated in our gospel, that you can see the conflict between knowledge and wisdom there as well. For those who were fighting with Jesus in John 6 had plenty of knowledge, all of them would have been far better Old Testament scholars, if you will, Bible scholars, than any of us. In fact, many of those who are arguing with Jesus would have probably had great knowledge of what the different rabbinic traditions said about all of these Old Testament passages. 
And they were even among the most blessed human beings to ever live because they saw Jesus in the flesh. They had intimate knowledge of the Messiah. He was right there in front of them. What they lacked was not wisdom, or rather, what they lacked was not knowledge, but rather it was, in fact, wisdom. We are surrounded by tremendous amounts of knowledge as well. We have supercomputers in our pockets. We uh, know that Google, or really the ability to query virtually any information at a moment's notice, has rewritten our brains. Uh, We have poor short-term and long-term memories because of it. I mean, we don't need to remember anything. It's always available to us. So we don't do the hard work of memorizing things. Information is just a few clicks away. Of course, that kind of power uh, has not escaped those who wield that information. Uh, And so we live in interesting times where certain information might be available to us more easily uh, than other pieces of information. Today's uh, misinformation might, in fact, become just common sense, you know, a few months from now. But even before technology, have you ever spent any time in a library and sort of felt overwhelmed? I mean, on the one hand, there's all this information available to you, all of these books, all of this knowledge, and you think to yourself, wow, it's all at my fingertips. And then you realize that you're never going to read all those books. You're not even going to read 1% of 1% of all those books. So then you think, God, there's an awful lot of knowledge out there that I don't possess. It can make you feel kind of small. And maybe that's one reason we have now the expert class among us. We, you ever read news articles? Experts say, experts say, who are these experts? What would we do without experts? Well, of course, there are highly educated scholars in a field, and they're trustworthy, we're told, because they have studied the issues in depth. And that very well may be the case. In fact, I, I, I'm glad for experts and expertise. Every time I get on an airplane, I am hopeful that the pilot is an expert of everything related to Boeing 737s, because I usually fly Southwest, and that's all they fly. Uh, if I am going to have a surgery... I am hopeful that the doctor is an expert, that he's probably done that surgery before, uh, or he is an expert in human anatomy. And I hope that historians, before they pontificate about the reality of the world, they've at least demonstrated to somebody that they know how to do good research. And yet there remains a difference between knowledge and wisdom. There is a difference between being an expert and being right. You can have expertise and be wrong. It's possible. And so I'm reminded that one of the beautiful and wonderful and gracious things about being a follower of Jesus is that of all the things that Jesus asks of us, being an expert is not one of them. Jesus asks that You know, we are sober and watchful. He asks that we are faithful and courageous, that we are tough and resolute, that we are discerning and shrewd, and that we are patient and steadfast. But he never says that we have to be an expert. I know pastors are always telling you, read your Bible every day. 
And I certainly think we need to increase in our theological knowledge. That's why we have Bible studies and and Sunday school classes and whatnot, podcasts and everything else. And yet, we don't have to be experts to follow Jesus. There's a modicum of knowledge we have to have. We have to know who this Jesus is that saves us. But indeed, you can be a poor, illiterate, unskilled laborer and be reviled by the world for your ignorance and stupidity and poverty and normalcy and be a perfectly wonderful follower of Jesus Christ. The entire world might think you're an idiot, but God won't. God understands that wisdom is seeking the truth, seeking God, and understanding your place in the world as a creature of God made in his image with a mission to follow him wherever he may lead. If that is enough for you, then you are wise. This week, Theology on Tap hosted an event that looks at so-called exvangelicals. It's kind of a catchy phrase these days. It's all the rage. Uh, Kind of a movement of people who have left the evangelical church of their childhood, hence they're ex-evangelicals. These people are usually folks in their 20s or 30s or 40s, about my age. Well, I'll tell you why I think they have left the evangelical faith of their childhoods. Because this is a generation of remarkably well-educated people, rich by any historical standard, and probably spoiled at least a little bit by any historical standard as well. They possess so much knowledge that they, I think, have come to believe they might actually know more than God, well, because they've read a few books by some highly educated skeptics. But when I hear their arguments for leaving or rethinking or questioning or debunking or sometimes even mocking the faith of their childhoods, I can't help but hear them as people who are puffed up on knowledge but as unwise as donkeys. And I really wanted to use the King James word there for donkey, but I didn't, out of respect for you. In our gospel lesson, the primary conflict is between these Jews who believed that their lineage to Moses, their claim to Moses, which is what they hearkened to, was sufficient. And Jesus, on the other side of this conflict, who is pointing to himself and saying, that the Father will draw his people to himself, whether they are of Moses or not. As an aside, and this isn't in my script, so it could be dangerous, this is often a text that is pointed to as a Eucharistic text, right? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. People say, aha, that's the Lord's Supper. Well, that's debated. The reason I think that it's not a text about the Lord's Supper is that the mere eating of the bread and wine the body and blood of our Lord at communion, doesn't grant you something unless you trust that that's what it's doing, right? Unbelievers can also partake in the Lord's Supper. What Jesus, I think, is saying is not the mere reception of the bread and wine that's important, but truly imbibing Christ himself, truly uh, taking him on for everything that he represents. And so importantly, one of the controversial things that Jesus says is that he is opening salvation to all, right? It it may have just 
easily gone by, but he says, whoever eats of this bread will live forever. Whoever, that's an open-ended statement. In other words, not just whoever among the 12 tribes, whoever among the followers of Jesus, he is now saying that the manna in the wilderness points to him. And whoever eats of this bread, whoever imbibes in me, abides in me, they will live forever. And of course, I'm not saying that we should seek to be stupid. Okay? To, to, to follow Jesus means you have to have some knowledge of who he is. That's why we do evangelism. We want to teach the world about Jesus. And so to abide in Christ requires little knowledge, but it does require wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom, as we heard today, as the beginning of the Proverbs say, is the fear of the Lord. And if that's the case, then I think I could deduce without a single Gallup poll or anecdote that we have a generation that does not fear the Lord. For they have knowledge, but they seem to lack the humility to admit that they are a creature of God who is willing to live by his word. So what do we do now? Where do we go from here? Maybe you agree with me in the assessment of the situation, but what next? We pray. The scripture teaches that we can grow in wisdom. It's not just a gift you are given. You can grow in wisdom. Ask the Spirit for wisdom. Just like we grow in holiness, we can grow in wisdom. When Jesus and John the Baptist and the apostles all preach about repentance, this is part of repentance. It is denying yourself so that the truths of God, the wisdom of God, can be all the more apparent and important in our lives. When we repent, then, we're not just turning from our sins. We are thinking less of ourselves and more of God. We're not just curtailing specific sins, although we do that when we repent. It's more than that. We are subjecting ourselves to God in every area of our life. And when we do that, it is as though we are making Jesus our very food. He becomes our bread of life, for nothing else can compete. And what does Jesus promise us? Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. So, do you really and truly want to live eternally? Then seek wisdom, and you will find such life. Amen. Amen.